You are now listening to the Fikemi Average Podcast, the home of quality content. Stay tuned. Hi guys, welcome to the Fikemi Adirija podcast. My name is Fikemi Adirija and I'm the host of this beautiful podcast. If you're a returning listener, what's good, what's popping and what's going on? So the sermon I listened to on Sunday has been on my mind for the longest. I've been telling quite a number of people about it and that's because it felt so beautiful to listen to and it was also so beautiful to like remember the beauty of like the beauty of serving god and how beautiful and amazing and intentional god is majority of the things that i've spoken about in the sermon were about rock throwers like people judging people and condemnation basically and there are points that the pastor spoke about i just felt like sharing because you know we learn every day. There are lots of things that we're always still learning. We're not perfect people. And the way he just, you know, broke down the word was absolutely beautiful. So yeah, let's get into it. So he spoke about self-condemnation and he gave an example of Judas. Because we all know the story of Judas in the Bible. That he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And um, from what I've read in Matthew chapter 27... Judas did not think it was going to go that way. He did not think they were going to kill Jesus, in my opinion. He probably thought, oh, they're going to, you know, um, they just wanted to capture Jesus, right? Let me read it so you guys understand where I'm coming from. So I'm going to read Matthew. Yes, we're going deep. <laughs> I'm going to read Matthew 27. And it says, very, very early in the morning. Oh, before we go there. Let me backtrack a bit, right? Let me read Matthew 26 from verse 14. And it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And then he finally did so at... Um, at the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> I'm always struggling to pronounce that word. But yeah, do you know, there's one funny part in Matthew 26, I think verse um, 18 or so, where Jesus was like, um, oh no, no, it was verse 20. He was like, when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12, with the 12. while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? And he replied, One of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. Okay, no, I didn't read that well. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It will be far better for that man if he had never been born. 
Guess the next person who asks, is it me, Lord? Judas. Judas said, then Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. And I'm just like, wow. So if you want to find out more about the story on the whole process of how he got betrayed and Judas identifying him with a kiss on his cheek, you can read Matthew 26 and you get the whole story. So yeah, let's go back to verse, um, chapter 27, which basically shows why I said, I don't think Judas dips that the betrayal was more than that. Like he probably just thought it was, you know, let me just betray him. He didn't think that they actually were going to kill Jesus. So in chapter 27 of Matthew, it says, very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. They retorted, what do we care? That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. That's what it says in the Bible. And when I read that, right, because we did the whole Bible study with um the Bible passage, and I never really dips this. You know, I was just hating on Judas. <laughs> I never really dips this. You know, he felt bad for what he did. He felt remorse. But so what did he do? Like, how did he handle it? And that's where I learned about godly sorrow, that sorrow has two parts, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And I was like, is sorrow not sorrow? But he was the, like, what I understood was, yes, sorrow is sorrow. But like, there's sorrow that makes you repentant, truly. Like, you're truly sorry, truly repentant. You genuinely want to right your wrongs and you don't want to make that mistake again. And then there's sorrow that results to self-pity, where you're just like, oh my God, I can never be forgiven. I don't think I can ever get out of this. This is the worst thing that's ever happened and I just want to take my life. And clearly, we can see that what Judas experienced by, you know, realizing he had betrayed an innocent man and all of that, he felt self-pity. He was going through worldly sorrow as per, oh, I'm not going to be, like, I don't know what he might have been thinking, obviously, but he was probably thinking, oh, he's not going to be accepted. God never forgive him. Like, he betrayed his own master, blah, 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 blah. This is an unforgivable sin. And I really hope and pray that we never get to a point where we think there's something we have done that can never be forgiven. That's above forgiveness. Like, I really pray we never get to that point because that is hopelessness. Like, where you are, there's no hope. You're like, nah, nothing can be done about this. And that's not true because the Bible says in Romans 8, do you know, I love Romans so much. Like, the love I have for the book of Romans is deep. Yes, my physical Bible <laughs> is with me here. Because I just love reading Bible stories. I, I just love it because it reminds me that whatever I think I'm going through, there's somebody that has gone through it before. And this is how they went about it. Because it's all documented in the Bible. So, Matthew chapter 8 says... 
um, chapter 8 from verse, I'm going to read from verse 35, right? And it says, can anything ever separate us from the, from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Now I'm going to move to verse 38. Oh no, verse 37 says, no, despite all these things, that is despite going through trouble, calamity, persecution, all of that, despite going through all these things, Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Then verse 38 now says, And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Point blank, period. So, what Judas went through, he was like, nah, there's nothing I can do that's going to get me forgiven. And he felt like the best decision was to hang himself. And that goes against what God says in his word. Because there's sometimes that we go through deep things, like we feel like we've committed crazy offenses and we feel like we're going through the worst situation in life. But this part just reminds us, that's Romans chapter 8, verse 38. It says, nothing can separate us from God's love. God's love, for you to send your only begotten son, that's the greatest, greatest sacrifice. I talk about this a lot, where I put myself in the position, I'm like, they say I should give my only son to people that's, I not knew to people that they are still gonna upset me in future. Like I don't know these people, they are still gonna sin. Like for the future sin they want to sin. I'm going to die for them because I love them. Like <laughs> for God to love the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And He says here that. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. So whatever it might be, this just basically shows that the range, whatever it might be that you think is the most devastating thing, it's not going to separate you from God's love. Even if you feel like you did the craziest thing mankind can imagine, it's not going to separate you from God's love. God's love is above all. So it's not now saying that, oh, because I have God's love, let me, you know, start running up and down and doing rubbish and committing sins up and down. No, because should we now remain in sin because grace abides? Let me quote that properly. So I think that's in Romans chapter 6 verse 2. And it says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. 
so basically <laughs> god basically saw us worthy enough to like for like he saw us worthy enough for such a huge sacrifice i feel like we're undeserving of god's love but even with the fact that we're undeserving he still loves us and he keeps emphasizing that yes i love you and all of that and no matter what you do to me i have given up the ultimate sacrifice for you so there's no amount of crazy you want to be crazy amount of anything that should make you feel like you cannot come back to me to ask for mercy and that is where i was talking about self-pity and worldly sorrow with judas he was just so sad and yes he was like oh my god he pitied himself because he was like yeah tell me by me motiche mistake motiche grievous offense and he felt like nah there's no coming back from this and they shouldn't you should never get to a point where you feel like there's nothing we can't go back to god about like there's we can go back to god about anything like come to him come to him with your burdens and he'll give you rest just go back to god repent genuinely talk to god and give your life i mean accept his life you know give your life to christ accept that christ died for your sins and you know be a new man in christ because once you believe that jesus died for your sins there's a part in romans chapter 10 that says when he died he died once to break the power of sin but now that he lives because jesus christ rose right so now that he lives he lives for the glory of god so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to god through christ jesus so yeah do not let sin control the way you live do not give into sinful desires do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin instead give yourselves completely to god for you were dead but now you have a new life so when you accept the life of christ and you believe that jesus christ died for your sins and he resurrected like you now understand that your old life that's what they say old things have passed away behold all things have become new so you're now a new creation in christ and that's through faith Instead, give yourself completely to God. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Point blank, period. So there should not be a point where you feel like you've done something so crazy. Yes, you are sad about it, but it should not get to a point where you feel like, nah, the only solution is to kill myself because it's not forgivable. That's impossible. Like, nah. No, you've been forgiven already. You just have to believe, right? And because we have grace, we have the grace of God, that doesn't mean you should not continue sinning because that is just you causing problems for yourself and you remit it in the future. So, yeah, when you understand that you've died to your flesh. So, the way Jesus died, right? Jesus was man made flesh. I mean, Jesus was God made flesh, rather. So, you've died, like your flesh has died, right? And Jesus rose again. To prove that he has victory over sin. He has victory over death. So we have victory over death. Right? Because we believe that Jesus died. So once you believe that, like you're a new man. You walk in a new light. And because Christ is in you, you have victory over sin. So the things you used to struggle with, you won't be able to struggle anymore. You won't struggle anymore. Not because of your power, but because of Christ in you. Jiggets. I don't know if 
I'm making sense. So now let's talk about godly sorrow, right? Because there's worldly sorrow and there's godly sorrow. So the example of godly sorrow that the pastor talks about was Peter. Ha! And when he started talking about Peter, I was like, ah, Uncle Peter. Let, let's let's actually let's go back, right? So let's start from Matthew 26 from verse 31. You know, we're doing Bible study, if you've not realized. But yeah, this is what I learned. And this is how my study notes is. And I just feel like sharing. So yeah, I hope you're learning and God is blessing you. And I'm making it also sense. And the Holy Spirit is speaking through me. So basically, Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him three times before the cup closed. And I'm sure Peter was like, eh? Deny my master, possible. Now here it is. And he says, on the way, Jesus told them, tonight, all of you will desert me. That's in Matthew 26 from verse 31. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Then Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. (laughs) What was that laugh? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You will deny, you know, you will deny three times that you even know me. That one is even deeper. Like, oh, mommy, right? Like you tell them that you've never seen me in your life. And then Peter insisted, no, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples, disciples vowed the same. Now, in verse 69, on the same chapter 26, the Bible says, Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came. So this was, this is like fast forwarded, right? So if you want to read the story of how, um, they had already captured Jesus and everything. They started plotting for him. Or should I read that? Okay. So, let me read that a bit. Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of hmm, Caiaphas. This is my issue with that. Pronouncing these names a lot. So, led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. So this is from verse 57 of chapter 26. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Which obviously is talking about him dying and resurrecting after three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, You have said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Blasphemy! 
Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? And they shouted, guilty. He deserves to die. Then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him, jeering at him, saying, prophesy to us, you Messiah. Who hit you this time? So they're basically mocking him. And do you know what? I love how, should I say savage? <laughs> but Jesus was always so wise with his responses. Like, I can imagine they've been trying to push you and tell you that you are blaspheming, you are saying this, you are trying to do this, do that. And he now responds again with all authority. Obviously, <laughs> they will be pissed. And it's actually so interesting. It's actually really, really interesting. And I hope we're not like, you know, so adamant on following laws that we are blinded to the sight of truth. Because that's what happened with these guys. They were so adamant on following laws and rules. Meanwhile, the Messiah that had always been spoken about, they were not even they could not even see that he was with them. They were so focused on ah, this is what they said the Messiah would do. Why would he be saying he's the Messiah? Kinko Kinko. And they were just being so judgmental. And all of that. So later, it now says, meanwhile. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. You know, earlier I was saying that Peter was waiting to see how everything from a distance, he was waiting to see how everything played out. So Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And then a servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, in, with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied this in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it. This time with an oath. I don't even know the man. <laughs> God have mercy. He said. No, he didn't say God have mercy. He was like, I don't even know the man. That's what Peter said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore. A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. And he wept. He went away weeping bitterly. And the word was that before the rooster crows, you would deny three times that you ever knew me. And I, that you even know me. And so he went away weeping bitterly. Peter felt so bad. He was so sad and sorrowful about it. Like he just dipped there. Ah, and they told me that I would actually deny Jesus. They told me that I would deny. He told me by himself that I would deny him three times. I said, oh, possible. He's not, eh, me. God will know I lied. Even if they, they say that I would need to die, I am ready to die for you. But then everything Peter was saying, right, it was coming from a place of, you know, genuine, like he was genuinely like, ah, I'm with you, my master. But the thing is, there are so many things we say and we proclaim thinking that we have power in our earthly bodies or, yeah, we have power in our flesh to do them. And we can only achieve these things through Christ because you have to just trust in God. Like you cannot say that, oh, I can do this by myself. It's impossible. It's the exact thing with sin, us saying that, oh, no. This sin, lie, lie, I can never steal. I can never do this, I can never do that. This thing I saw on Twitter, I said that, I don't say it will never be, like, you, uh, I can't remember how it was said, but it was something about, you say it will never be you 
until it's you or something around that. Like you keep thinking that this can never be me, but will shock you when it's you. And I've been that I've been in that position too. I used to be like, nah, this can never be me. Like I know that me, I know that you know I have flaws and everything, but this one I can never ever do it. And when I caught myself, I said, wow, the best thing never did it. So we make all these promises and everything by ourselves. But the thing is, we are flesh. We have, like, it's blood that is running through our veins. And we can't achieve all these things without Christ. Because there will always be temptations, just like Peter. Like, Peter, he was like, he set his mind. Ah, my, you know, even with all the disciples, Peter that used to do bodyguard the most with Jesus. So, he was like, there's no way I'll betray Jesus now. Like, my, like my, my master? No, it's not possible. But then, sin is normally a man. Like, it's a normal thing in like the normal nature of man. But in Christ, we now have dominion over sin. There's this part um, of Romans, in Romans 7, um, from verse 21. Yeah. So, because I love the... I said I love the Bible before, but I genuinely love the Bible because there are so many things that we think that we're going through that Jesus does not understand. Where we'll be like, oh, God, genuinely, like, I want to stop sinning here. Like, I want to stop these things I'm doing. But I just find myself back there again. Let me show you a place in the Bible that they've experienced it. And they also put a solution there. Can you see that everything you need in this life is in the Bible? It's Romans chapter 7 from verse 14. But I am going to read um, from verse 21. And it says, I have discovered this principle of life. This is Paul speaking. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? The next verse says, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And that is why we need Jesus. Not like you can't fight sin without Jesus. It's impossible. Like stick with stick with the person who has victory over sin. And that's Jesus. So like it's, it's like a simple equation. You want to stop sinning. How do you go about it? Accept the life of Christ and stick with Jesus, follow Jesus and be true to Jesus. Be genuinely with Jesus and you have victory over sin. Why? Because Jesus has victory over sin. And once you have set Jesus' life into your life, you too, as a result of Jesus in you, you have victory over sin. And honestly, it's easier said than done, but it is very much possible. Yes, you have fallbacks. Like it's a daily choice. So it's not something like today. Okay, today is what? September, probably 20-something. You now decide that today I'm going to, you know, stick with Jesus. Today I'm going to follow Jesus. And then you now not commit to it again. You now say, okay, this one that I've done now, it will take me for the next, like, two years. No, it's a daily, daily thing. Because every day you, <laughs> you face battles. Every day you face temptations. But it's a daily commitment to sticking with Jesus every single day. Like, you have to remind yourself, like, you have to, every day, like, you have to remind your flesh that today is Jesus. The next, today is everything we do 
follow Jesus, you ask God to intervene in your day, you ask him to help him, to help you, you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, the Holy Spirit to give you strength, to give you wisdom, to help you navigate, like it's a daily thing, and to be honest, I can say for a fact that every time I struggled with certain sins, it was always when I was struggling with my spiritual life, when I wasn't talking to God as much, when I wasn't praying as much, when I wasn't genuinely sinking with God, when I wasn't making God a priority, that was, those were always the times where I struggled. Like, you you dream of certain things and because, you know, you are, you are a man, you know, you have dreams, you're like, well, I want to do this, I want to do that, but it comes with prices. You have to be committed to God. It cannot work. You cannot say, oh, today I don't want to, for example, I don't want to masturbate again. You don't want to watch pornography again. You don't want to lie again. You don't want to steal again. You don't want to commit fraud again. And you want to use your own human flesh, flesh that likes it, flesh that is enjoying it, flesh that is enjoying the process. <laughs> like, flesh loves it. So you need to involve Jesus because it's not an easy thing to do. Like, Jesus literally needs to help. You have to ask God, like, God I beg. Like, the biggest of God I begs. So, like, how I can relate to this is, in my life, in every stage of my life that I've struggled with sins, whether sexual sin, general sin, <laughs> all sins, lying, I don't, I don't think I've told you before. So, yeah, just lying, sexual sins, disobedience, impatience, anger, um, all those kind of things where I've struggled, it's always at times where my relationship with God wasn't solid. And that's why people are always talking about have a relationship with God, follow God. And you're like, no, at this particular stage in my life, and I'm 26, 27, that's when I'll start following God. But from when I'm 19 to 25, you know, I'm just meant to be in my Jaye phase. And to be honest, what exactly is Jaye? Like, what exactly are you enjoying? Because like I've said this before, we you don't have the clock. Oh. You don't have the clock. Like, you cannot determine when you are going to die. So why do you feel like you can calculate when you give your life? Like, why are you estimating it that, oh, you want to enjoy it first? What exactly is your definition of enjoyment? Like, why are you putting more things for you to deal with in future? Like, more things for you to heal from? It's like when my mom used to tell me about relationships and she was always like, don't get into relationships when you're too young because... You don't really know who you are. You don't know what you want and all of that. Like You can get lost. You get hurt. And I was always like, she don't want me to fall in love. So why are you an up? <laughs> but genuinely, now that I'm older, I've realized that me, like when I talk to people, I see how much healing and how much they have to deal with before they can move to, you know, the relationship they want to be in. Because if you don't heal from your hurts, you're going to hurt the person you get in the next relationship with. Because hurts people hurts people. So you just staying away, right, would help you so much. Like it would prevent you from healing from unnecessary things. Things that you are not even meant to have experienced. Because at 15, why are you dealing with heartbreak? Somebody's cheating on you. At 15, there are bigger problems. <laughs> but yeah, this is not um, disregarding everything is valid. But like... It's something that you can avoid. So yeah, this is one of the reasons why I love... I can't believe I said I wanted this to be short. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why I love the word of God so much. Because everything just relates to everything. Because even in Romans 
chapter 8. Because what we end up doing is just condemning ourselves. And that's one thing Peter did not do. Peter, yes, he felt miserable. He felt sad. But he did not condemn himself like Judas did. He had godly sorrow. Let's read. Uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians. Mm-hmm. It's in my Bible. It's in my journal. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. It says, where is it? Uh-huh. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Can you see that? Let me read from like earlier. It says, okay, it says, now I am glad I sense it's not because he hurt you. So this was when Jesus, I mean, sorry, when Paul sent a letter to, uh, who did he send this letter to? Is it Titus? Okay, to the Corinth. Sorry, <laughs> this is a Corinthians. It says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction. We battles on the outside and fear on the inside. This just basically shows that even if you are with God, you still have challenges, right? But you'll be able to overcome them. It says, but God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what had happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. That was when Paul sent a letter to the um, Corinthian church. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while, now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. This is so apt because the sorrow I recently experienced in my life that did actually move me <laughs> back to God. And that had because that was because like I recorded in an episode where I was talking about my faith journey. I had been so distracted with things of life. So I had been so distracted with things of life that I started prioritizing every other thing over God. Like, God was in the priority again. And, you know, God being the jealous God, he said, you, okay, now, prioritizing work over me, prioritizing, what, podcasting over me, you're prioritizing friendship over me, prioritizing relationship over me, prioritizing family over me, <laughs> girl, I'm coming for you. <laughs> and, you know, he's not a wicked person. He just made me realize that he has to be the ultimate one. Because when I started going through it, everything was just so tough. It was so, so tough. And when I went back to God, he was like, can you see why? And he gave me words, distinct words, which made the sorrow easier to bear. He made, he was, en- like, I felt encouraged. It felt like a hug. Like, girl, I know, I got, I had to do what I had to do to get your head straight. But this is why I did what I did. Right. And getting those words from him gave me relief. Right. He gave me huge relief because there are a couple of decisions I made. That were just instructions. He said, do this. I'm like, why? I don't want to do this. This is painful. This is going to hurt me. Yes. Okay. So after a while, he showed me why. And I was like, I see why. But like, this is still a huge decision. Like, I don't want to do this. And then by himself, he ripped off the band aid. And 
I was just like, okay, okay, okay. So like in that moment, it wasn't like I wasn't seeing it from God doing it. I said from me making decisions because you have to make a decision. Like he'll give you hints here, 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 here. But you have to, you have choices with God. And I made a decision, right? And then after, after reflecting on my decision, it was only I was praying. And I was like, I was just talking to God because I was so hurt. I was hurting so bad. And I was like, why? Like, why did this have to, like, why did I have to make this, this decision? Like, why did this have to happen? Because the decision was so pressed on my heart. And I was like, I don't know other ways to go about this without me being hurt. And then later, he finally answered and gave me words about the situation. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. To be honest, fair enough. I don't blame you because if I was in your shoes, I'd have done the same. <laughs> so fair enough, right? But then I would not have this joy and understanding and godly sorrow if I didn't trust the word of God. Because the word of God encourages. It's like it's like a spank and it will hug you, basically like correct you, then hug you back, right? And that's what... Paul was basically talking about that what the sorrow that God wants us to experience is the sorrow that draws back to him. And that's what Peter did. He went back, like he understood that truly sin is real. Like we are flesh, like sin is part of our nature. But because of Jesus Christ, he has victory over sin. So he was sad. And then he just, I think he just went back to think about his life. He didn't go and hang himself. He didn't feel like there was no solution. He didn't like condemn himself because that's what Judas did. And the Bible even talks about condemnation in Romans. In Romans uh-huh, Romans 8. And it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we have, we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirits. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law. And it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Thank you, Lord. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life. Because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. And verse 12 now says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. 
So if your sinful nature is calling you to do some stuff, you have no obli- like it's no more. It should no more be in your body. Like it should not even be able to call you. Be hello, let's go. You should be able to be like hello, go away. Do you get like that's just how it is. So we now have power over sin because of God. It clearly states that you're human. And so people are like, you know what, today I'm going to stop this. I'm going to stop doing this. Stop doing that. Cool. But you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you need Jesus. Like you need, it's not once you need Jesus involved in the process. So yeah, I think I've spoken about condemnation a lot. And again, let me reiterate. So now there is no condemn, condemn, hey, hey, hey. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Like, there is no condemnation for you. Like, you are not condemned. As long as you believe in Christ Jesus, you are not condemned. And that is what, if Judas had, you know, repented and said, Ah, Father, Lord, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on me and all of that. You, why are you self-condemning yourself? A whole God said, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You give you the audacity to condemn yourself like you are bold though. like for real for real you are actually bold because what audacity like who gave you the audacity to condemn yourself like who gave you that audacity who is the person share you have the address because god said there is no condemnation for those who belong to jesus christ and as long as you belong to jesus christ there's no condemnation for you so how will you belong to jesus christ and be condemning yourself like oh Oh my God, I've messed up. I'm useless. I'm this, I'm that. That's not part of God's will for you. His creations are not useless. His creations are not foolish. So what's what's going on? What exactly is going on? <sighs> Honestly, we just have to give ourselves more grace and be merciful unto ourselves. Oh, let me wrap up with this. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. I really opened my Bible today. Wow. <laughs> Luke chapter 6, you can hear the pages flipping. Honestly, the Bible is actually such a lovely book. I love reading the Bible. It's like I'm reading a story. Like, it's, it's so exciting. Like, when I dip sometimes, it's like, oh my God. Like, I'm just so excited about Revelations. So, Luke chapter 6, verse 36 says, You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaking together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So, it just, you have to have grace. Like, give yourself grace. Right, the same way you forgive others, and the way God shows us mercy, have mercy on yourself. Like when you go through tough times, you do something wrong. Don't be too quick to yes. Obviously, you can reprimand yourself, like you can correct yourself. But that doesn't mean you should condemn. You don't mean to condemn. As but this one, eh, there's no resolution for you. Like your own has finished. Like goodbye. Like it has been case closed. We can't condemn ourselves. I know it's easier said than done because there's sometimes. I, I find myself doing it to people, right? But after, huh, and the message was so timely because I've been in situations where I was just like, nah, 
there's no hope for this person. And I had to catch myself fast. Like, who, who gave me the authority? Who, who I be? <laughs> like, who am I to make such a decision? Like, you have to show mercy to people. Because, because the same way you're trying to figure out life is the same way they're trying to figure out life. Galatians 6 says, Dear brothers and sisters, from verse 1, If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of christ if you think you are too important to help someone you are only fooling yourself you are not that important pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get the you get satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So focus on your focus. Mind your business. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. It like, we just have to have mercy. Because I'm guilty. In recent times, there, yeah, there are ways I should have probably handled things that I didn't handle well. And that was based on what I knew. And yet, there are some situations where you feel like you cannot help these people. The best I can do is pray for you, right? But in all, if you see a friend that's probably gone into, I keep using sexual sin, but yeah, gone into sexual sin or any form of sin, or they're just, you know, not doing the right things, don't be too quick to call them out and be hopeless on their case and, you know, chastise them. You have to show them mercy. Even me, go, I'm learning all these things. That's why. When I started, I said, God, I know you're going to show me some things that I not see before. You have to be merciful because you are not perfect. Before you got to the point where you like felt like you know the word so much or you got this, but you went through a process. So give people the grace to go through that process too. Your timeline for that process might have been shorter than theirs. Maybe theirs is taking longer, but give them the grace to get to that point and encourage them. Literally says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That's how you look out for your neighbor. That's how you love one another. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So as you're helping somebody, don't go and do mistake and enter too. Because I remember growing up, my mom would be like, yeah, you can, you can tell them from afar. Don't be smoking. It doesn't mean you're going to sit down with them. You don't know when it eats you. So you have to be wise, Right? And be careful not to fall for that temptation. Share each other's burdens. And in the same and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Like, oh, oh, I'm better. Like, you're not as important. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just it. So the key points, right? Because I know I've said a lot. I didn't even expect this to be too long. But the key points right is we have to be ambassadors of christ we have to represent because if we truly truly genuinely want to learn to stop condemning ourselves like he literally says it in his word there's no condemnation why are you condemning yourself why do you feel so opportune with such privilege who who gave it to you where did you find it how did you collect it you have no rights to condemn yourself you have no authority there's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. So why would you even go and condemn another believer? Oh, wrong, man. <laughs> it's a wrong thing. 
and we've seen it basically i try to involve scripture a lot so it's not like oh is just speaking like everything about living right being in the right standing with god being good is literally in the word and if you are struggling it's literally in the word even shared when paul was like i don't want to be doing some things but i find myself always doing those things and he said that thank god for jesus because i know i have victory over sin like basically and even me i'm saying it going yeah i still find myself going back and mistake but you have to remind yourself that there's no condemnation so as i found myself in this position what do i do oh yeah let's go back to jesus because he's not going to condemn me he wants me to come back and make sure i don't do this again and i put things in place put boundaries in place put things in place to make sure this doesn't happen again right yeah <laughs> yeah i think i think i think i'm i think i'm done i I hope i i hope i made sense right i hope you got the point i hope you enjoyed listening i hope you brought out your bible story we enjoyed bible studies together and yeah i just really enjoyed the sermon i loved it a lot and i was just like oh my god wow oh my god this is so beautiful and these are very important things. These are very, very important things. It's not only about speaking in tongues and laying hands. If you don't know how to show basic love, if you don't know how to basically care for people, be patient, be kind, long-suffering, like managing your anger, all those little things, the, li- the things we describe as little, they go a very long way. You have to really reflect. So today... Ensure that when you're feeling sad about situations, it's godly sorrow, the one that makes you come back to true repentance and not the one that makes you fill yourself with pity. And I genuinely hope that I've been able to shed some light on this matter. I hope you learned, not this matter, on this, you know, you know. I, I hope you shall learn a thing or two. I hope you enjoyed listening and I'll see you guys in my next episode. In advance, we're counting down um to my fifth podcast anniversary so yeah countdown countdown two episodes to go so in two episodes we'll be celebrating our fifth year anniversary so please share this episode with your friends if you enjoyed it and i'll see you in my next one bye